Well, it's great to be with you today. What a joy it is to see these children. I don't know if that, I, I don't know about you, but it, man, if I can't preach after that, if you, if you can't smile during that, I'm not sure what we can do, but man, what a wonderful time of worship it's been today. And uh, VBS is such a great week and man, incredible time that God did some great thing. You know, VBS is probably the one week out of the year I get to act really silly and it's all for Jesus's name. And, uh, and so we had, had a character, maybe you saw it on the video and, and some of you kids out there, you're going to know who this guy is. Who was this? Perfecto, right? <laughs> that's who he was. Some of you, some of you kids are like, oh, that's who he was. I knew I knew him somehow. Uh, but we had a great, great week and so thankful that you uh, allowed us to, to minister to your kids. And again, uh, for all that you've done uh, to be a part of this. And so uh, just a, a couple stats. We had over 800, 850 uh, preschool and kids uh, involved in VBS. We had almost 450 volunteers, incredible, incredible people that made this happen. An amazing thing happened uh, throughout the week. I, you know, I saw kids having fun. I saw parents rejoicing as they dropped their children off and we were leaving. I saw uh, just volunteers in the body of Christ serving together in unity. Um, you know, I saw decision counselors spread out over uh, all these different places, all through the hallways, counseling with kids who said, hey, I'm ready to make a decision for Jesus Christ. 180 children had made that decision this week, and it's an incredible uh, just gift. Man, what a, what a joy that is. Oh. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's nothing that brings more joy to a pastor's heart than seeing people commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And, and even as a dad, one of my sons uh, gave his life to the Lord Jesus this week. And so an incredible week for, for us as well as a family. And so these are, man, I just want to remind us, church, these are eternal things. This is generational shaping kind of things that we get to be a part of here. And I'm so thankful and hope you are as well that we are a part of a church that invest in children and young families and says, hey, we want to do everything we can to reach people. And so praise God for that. I love it. And uh, we're in this why series. Our pastor has been preaching on that over the last several weeks. And I kind of got excited about the why because you know what? In my family, I was the kid who asked all the why questions. Uh, maybe in your family, I don't know about you, but you had somebody in your family that probably was the why guy, why girl, right? And your family that ask all the why questions. Any of you in the room, any of the why people, maybe you're looking at somebody down the road like that was you, bro. Um, that was me. I was the why guy in my family. My older brother, he was the when. He always asked, when are we going to do stuff? And I was always asking, why are we doing things, you know? And so I, I was excited about this series and seeing this. And um, I just recently came across my notes of when I moved here 15 years ago. And the notes that I'd used the, the Sunday that I had to, to share with the church as they were voting on me to come in as this 25-year-old single guy from Texas to be the college pastor. On that note, I noticed something that I'd written. There was a stat that was going on around the time of about 80%, it was from the Barna Group, that 80% of kids who grew up in church, as they grew up and they graduated high school, left the church after they graduated high school, 80%. And so I remember writing that down and I saw it the other day and sharing that with the church because I was like, hey, that's not going to happen here because I'm coming in, I'm going to be the college pastor. We're not going to allow that to happen here. And what I've seen over the years that that 80% number was probably too high, especially for here. 
But I've, I've seen kids over the years that grew up in church that did walk away or that didn't remain in the faith. And so I asked the question, why? Why do some kids remain in the faith? Or maybe in a negative way, why do some kids fall away from the faith? And, and so I, I began to think about that question and, and it was kind of hard for me to even express. I'm like, can I preach that? But I just, I feel like that's the word for us and kind of in light of VBS and we've had this great experience. And, but I want to ask the question, why do some kids remain in the faith? And, and maybe you're a parent here and let me give a big disclaimer here uh, that maybe you've got a kid that your kids are grown up and maybe some of, maybe one of your kids has, has left the faith. You, you brought them to church and you did all the things, maybe all these principles we're going to talk about today and they haven't continued on with the Lord. Now, let me say this, man, at the end of the day, everyone's going to make their own decision, that who they're going to serve, what they're going to do with their own lives. And so it's not always A plus B always equals C with this kind of stuff. And, and but I also believe this, I want to give a disclaimer here is that I always, I believe that, man, once you're saved, you're always saved. You, you know that, but here's what I see in scripture is that if you're saved, there's going to be fruit from your life. You're going to desire to look more like Jesus and follow after him. And so as we think about this, I want to give us some things here. I want to get us thinking about what are some common denominators here? What are some things that we could look at of kids who remain in the faith? And so I want to share from God's word to give us some insight of, of why that could happen and maybe a few steps for us as a church body of how we can help with this. And so maybe you're a parent of children here, maybe you're a grandparent, uh, maybe you're just a guest here. This is for you, this is for every one of us. And so if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter one, 2 Peter chapter one, I hope you have your Bibles. If we're gonna be referring back to it, we'll, we'll read some, then we're gonna go back to other places in, in the Bible. So I hope you'll, you'll take out your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter one. We'll start in verse one. God's word says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, this is who he's writing it to, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's stop right there. I want, to, I want you to see first off who Simon Peter is writing this letter to. Did you see it? Peter's writing this letter to the church. He is writing this letter to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received faith. He's writing it to believers, to people who've placed their trust in Jesus. And I want you to know that this is where everything begins. This is the beginning of it all. You must be saved. You must be converted to Jesus. You must be a true follower of Christ. Colossians 1.13 says this, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You see, church, we are born into the domain of darkness and we must be rescued. We gotta remember that. That's where we start out at. And so the first reason that kids remain in the faith, the first reason the kids remain in the faith is they have received faith through Jesus. They have to be true followers of Jesus. This is where it all begins. And so here's what I believe about salvation. A few things, a few thoughts about salvation. I believe it's simple and yet found. Salvation is so simple, a child can, can receive salvation, but it's so profound that it, it affects the rest of their life. And so a few things about salvation. It, first off is it's not something you work for. 
You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself, lest you boast. You can't boast about it and say, man, I did. I worked hard enough for this, and I received salvation. It doesn't work that way. You can't work for salvation. Second thing is that you come humbly. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to come to the Lord and say, I, I don't have it all together. I, I got to lay down my pride. I got to come humbly. That's how we come to salvation. Third thing is this, is you count the cost. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, hey, look, if you want to follow after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so you got to ask the question, am I willing to lay down my life? Am I willing to deny myself? Am I willing to take up my cross and follow Jesus? You got to count the cost at salvation. And the last thing is this, is you receive the gift. You receive the gift. In John chapter one, Jesus said, yet to all who did receive him, they, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The writer of John, right, says, look, you've got to receive the gift. That's how you become a child of God. And so let's start with the really big question in the room. Have you received Jesus through faith? That's where it all begins. And see, you can't remain in the faith as a child. You can't remain in the faith if you didn't have faith in the beginning. If you don't have faith to start with. You even look at what verse two says. He says, look, grace and peace. Look back at verse two. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. That knowledge begins at salvation. Do you see the gift that you get? Grace and peace. Isn't that what the whole world's looking for? Grace and peace. But let's continue on the scripture. We got so much to cover. Verse three, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So the second reason kids remain in the faith is they participate in the divine nature. They participate in the divine nature. Church, our lives are not our own. We've been called by God. We've been called out by God to live godly lives. And do you see what it says in scripture? He's given us everything, everything we need to accomplish this godly life. He didn't say just some things or not most things, everything you need to accomplish the godly life. You see, Christians, we must be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Peter called this participating in the divine nature. And what's participating in the divine nature? It's not that you become God or become a God. It's that you become like him. That's how we participate in the divine nature. So how is participating in the divine nature accomplished? Did you see what it says in scripture? It says, through our knowledge of him through our knowledge of him. So one of the, there's several different ways, but one of the ways that we get to know him more is what? It's through God's word. He gives us his word. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness. We have been given God's word, church. 
We have it, and it is good for all these things to teach us how to know Christ. We have the Bible, and yet, you know what the research out there tells us? We don't read it. There's a study that Lifeway did back in 2019, Lifeway Research Study, and they asked 2,500 Protestant churchgoers, that's you and us, that's us, how often they read the Bible, and they found only 32% read the Bible daily, 40% read the Bible once a week or less, and 12% said they rarely or never opened the Scriptures. Take it a step further, and you will find in the same research that the younger the respondent, the less likely they were to read the Bible every day. Shocking results in some ways. Like, that it shouldn't be, right? Church, we should be humbled that God has called us out. And if you're a believer, he's called you and said, I've given you a purpose. I want you to know me, become like me. And so how do you equip your kids to participate in the divine nature? The first thing is this, they need to experience God through his word. They need to experience God through his word. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Listen, faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. And so here's what we can do. You can show your kids, parents, show your kids how and when to read the Bible. Grandparents, tell your grandkids how God has spoken to you through his word. Tell them, hey, let me tell you about what God's done in my life. Let me show you in God's word what he just showed me. Your kids need to see that the word is a light into your feet and a lamp into your path. They see that in your life. They need to experience God's word. The second way we equip our kids to participate in the divine nature is when we pray. We got to pray, church. Prayer is our lifeline to God. We have to make time to pray. We got to let our kids hear us pray. They need to join us in prayer. We need to teach them. They need to learn how to pray. And we need to pray desperate prayers. Man, we, God, what are you, how are you going to accomplish this? We got to pray desperate prayers. E.M. Bounds, one of the greatest writers about prayer, said this This is not a praying age. It is an age of great activity, of great movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong. Listen to this to stress the scene and the material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. It can happen, church. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world and we look at all the seen things, the material things of this life, and we fail to see and pray and show our kids the unseen and the spiritual. How else do we equip our kids to participate in the divine nature? You serve the body of Christ. You serve the church. This is what Jesus said in John 17 about the church. He says this, the glory that I have, that you have given me, the glory you have given me, I have given them. He's talking about the church there, that they may be one, the church may be one, even as we, me and you, Father, are one. I in them and you in me, that they, the church, may be become perfectly one. Listen to why. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Think about this, church. How is the world going to know? Maybe better yet, how are your kids going to know that God sent Jesus from the Father and that he's the only true God? They need to see us serving the church. They need to see a church that's unified, a church that's displaying oneness. And here's the deal. We can't be unified if we aren't showing up in each other's lives. 
Our kids got to see that. You know what? They, they see that we need each other. Our kids need to see that we need each other and that we serve one another as Jesus served us and our kids are watching us. Your kids, your grandkids are watching you and your relationships with others, maybe especially those who are in the church and how you relate to the body of believers. How else? How do we equip our kids to participate in the divine nature? You give them a Christian worldview. You give them a Christian worldview. Your kids are looking for a worldview. You know that? They're asking you, what lens? How do I need to look at the world? What lens do I need to view things from? What is truth? They're asking those questions. You know what? I heard this not too long ago. Somebody told me this, and I don't even remember who I was talking to. They said this, you know, I'm going to just let my kids decide what they want to believe. I'm just going to let them kind of figure it out as they go along. Somebody kind of forced me to believe in a certain way, but I'm just going to let them figure it out as they go along. That's a terrible idea. That's the worst idea I've heard. You know what your kids need? They need grandparents and parents that will help them to know where to stand. They need to know a good foundation to stand on. They need to know what the truth is because otherwise it's like you're letting your kid just drown in the ocean of relativism, of whatever goes, goes. And that's the going rate of the day. But not for us. We can't live that way. We've got to help our kids have a Christian worldview. And so maybe you're asking, well, how do you shape a kid's worldview? How do you have a Christian worldview? Let me tell you this. Their worldview is going to be shaped by what you tell them is essential to your life. What's essential to your life? Do you know every day you tell your kids what is essential? Here's the thing. The the essential things in your life are the things that you will prioritize no matter what. They are priority to you and you will do them. They're essential. The non-essentials in your life are things that happen if it's convenient to you. Priority versus convenience. Do you see the difference? Priority is synonymous with words like most important, urgency, main concern. Convenience is synonymous with words like ease, accessibility, if it suits me. And it's not bad things. It's just the fact that they're just not that essential to you. But it's, if it's convenient for you. So I ask the question, are the scriptures essential to your life? Is prayer an essential part of your life and day? Is serving the church body, is being a part of the body of Christ an essential part of your life? Or is it just convenience? See, as Christians, living a godly life ought to be the essential part of our lives. Living a godly life ought to be the essential part of our lives where we do everything we can to give effort to being godly people. But here's what I can see. Sometimes, church, we become far too complacent with living a godly life. I'm afraid maybe one of the reasons that Christians can't make much of a difference in the world today because our lives don't look that much different than the world's. What's essential to your life? Christians, you've got to show us how we can live this life. Our kids need to see this, and our essentials are are there for everyone to see. And so... But look at what scripture says is at stake. Look at verse four, look back there. He says, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's this corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And it says, hey, look, believer, Christian, you've escaped that. You don't have to live in the corruption in this world. And you've got to show your kids what it looks like to participate in the divine nature 
so they, they can escape that. So that's not a part of their lives. And so let's continue to look at what God's word says to do. Look at verse five. He says this, for this very reason, make every effort. Do you, you feel that? Every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the third reason, the third reason kids remain in the faith is they have parents that live the gospel and preach the gospel to them. Did you see that? When we live godly lives, we will make every effort to confirm our calling and election. It's the gospel. It's what we have to wrap our minds around. We have to wrap our lives around is this gospel that we live the gospel and we preach the gospel to our kids. And maybe you're saying, but Josh, I don't know enough about the Bible to do that. That's why I bring my kids to church. And let me tell you, Christian, do you remember what we looked at at the very beginning? What did it say? He has given us everything that we need, everything that we need to live a godly life, everything we need. There's no excuse for us, church. It's pretty clear to me. We have to give effort to this. Here's the thing. Here's what the gospel is, and it's in a nutshell. And so maybe just remember this. that The gospel is this, is that we were dead in our sins and that Jesus came to live a perfect sinless life he, his, through his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. He made a way for us to have life through him. That's the gospel. And so let me tell you five ways real quickly how you can practically share the gospel and show the gospel to your kids. Number one is this, you show your kids your sin. What? Your sin? Yeah, in an age-appropriate way, show your kids your sin that you mess up too. I had to do this recently with my kids. I'd I made a mistake, I'd sinned. I'd, I'd sinned against a friend. I'd said something in a very public way against him. And so that, that day, the Lord reminded me, he said, Josh, I want you to share that with your kids. You think I wanted to? No, not really. It's embarrassing. But around the dinner table that night, we sat around and I, I, I just told my kids, I said, hey guys, here's what I did today. And they were leaning in, they had their eyes wide open like this. Dad, you did what? Why'd you do that? I said, yeah, I know I messed up. And I'd already asked for forgiveness from that friend. We'd already made things right. So I asked them, I said, what do you think I should do? They said, Dad, you need to own your sin. You need to ask for forgiveness. I said, you're right. You know why I told them that story? Because they need to see that their dad messes up and that I need the gospel. I need God to come and change my heart too. They needed to see that. They need to see number two is that you show your kids what forgiveness looks like. Show them what forgiveness looks like. When you mess up, ask for forgiveness from them, from your spouse, from an, another friend, a coworker, ask for forgiveness. Show them what that looks like to humble themselves and ask for forgiveness when they sin. Number three, show your kids what radical obedience looks like. Man, there's gonna be some hard things that God may call you to, to do as a family, to do personally. 
Walk your kids through that. Walk your grandkids through that. Let them see like, this is what God's calling us to. And this is what we're gonna do. This is gonna be tough. This is gonna be hard. But we're gonna follow Jesus in this because this is what he's told us to do. This is what God's word says to do here. Radical obedience, show them what it looks like. Number four, show your kids what time alone with God looks like. You gotta be in the word for yourself, parents, grandparents, friends, neighbors. Show them what that looks like. Don't do it for a show so they're like, hey, I'm reading my Bible here. But no, do it in a way that they can see this is authentic and real, that God's word is central to your life. Number five is show them the gospel, how the gospel is transforming and changing your life. In your life. You see, church, if you live like you don't need to change, if you live like you don't need to change, they won't either. If you are acting like you got it all together and you don't need any help, they won't need, they won't need any help either. You gotta let your kids, your grandkids, the people around you, let them see the transformation that's happening in you that you need to change. But if there's another way to show them the gospel, did you see it in the scripture? That it's by adding these eight virtues that he listed there. Did you see the eight virtues? I'm gonna read these qualities and I want you to think about them in the context of your own life. Are these increasing in measure, as it said, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Isn't it interesting? It starts with faith and it ends with love, the greatest of commands, right? It's what we're called to do. Are these things, are they increasing in measure in your life? It's a way for you to show your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, the gospel. So you look back, back at verse eight, turn back over there. Verse eight, for if you possess these qualities, those qualities, those eight qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, look at this, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You know that word unproductive? Maybe in your, your Bible it says unfruitful. It's the same idea that Jesus, as he shared this parable of the soils, you remember that parable? Where they're throwing out the seed and there's the soil that uh, the, the plant begins to grow and that it's choked out because of the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of money. It's the same idea of that, that unproductive, this unfruitful life that, man, you were growing up, but you allowed all the things of this world to begin to take precedent in your life and so that you became unfruitful. You know those two words, ineffective and unproductive? Maybe the two worst words you could hear as a Christian, ineffective and unproductive. You know what Jesus said about that in John 15? He says, look, if you, that I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will produce fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, church, we've got to stay connected to Jesus Christ so that we aren't ineffective and unproductive. Christian mom and dad, let's be living the gospel and sharing and preaching the gospel to our kids so that we're not unproductive. Did you notice what else he mentioned there? He said, look, we could also lose sight of what really matters in life. He called it short-sightedness, right? It, it's, it's, you can't see it because you become distracted by all these other things and you've missed the glory of Christ because you become so distracted by the things of this world. 
short-sightedness. But he also said this, look, maybe become blind. It's like you've closed your eyes to the things of the gospel. We've missed it if we do those things. But did you notice the last thing he mentioned in verse nine? Look at that. He said, there's a possibility of forgetting. There's this possibility of forgetting that you've been made new in Christ, that your sins have been wiped away, that your sins have been cleansed. Did you read that? There's this possibility that you could forget that we played a game on Thursday at VBS. Our last day on Thursday, we played this game called OMC. OMC stands for Organized Mass Chaos. If your kid was at VBS, you know all about it because they came home and told you how they got all this stuff on them. And and Organized Mass Chaos, if you don't know what it is, let me tell you about, they get these task cards. Everybody gets a task card. And on the task card, it tells them what to do. It may tell them that they need to run and grab some shaving cream and uh, make their hair uh, a mohawk or paint themselves up like an Indian or something like that or, or take this water balloon and throw it at a friend or take a cup of water and throw it at a leader. I mean, there's all these different tasks. And the point of the game is that they had to complete the tasks for them to be able to put it into the bucket. And the more tasks that they completed, they won the game. Their team would win the game. OMC, organized mass chaos, because it's all happening at one time. There's sponges, there's water balloons, there's shaving cream. It's crazy. And they loved it. And at the end of the day, well, there's one rule, by the way. There's one rule, and you can't say no. So you got to do what it tells you to do, right? And at the end of the game, they were a mess. They were a mess. And what we do at the end of the game is we debrief the game. And so we had everybody take a knee. And we said, look at yourself look at you. You're a mess. You are a mess. And we help them to see that they are a mess, but in Christ Jesus, what does scripture say? Their their mess is wiped out. They are cleansed. But here's the problem, church, is that we can forget that. We can forget that we are cleansed. And so the fourth reason kids remain in the faith is they remember. They remember the faithfulness of God. They remember So how can we help our kids remember the faithfulness of God? I want to tell you a quick story out of Joshua chapter four. You can turn there if you want to. I'll try to sum it up. We're running low on time. It's this, the people of Israel, they've lived out in the wilderness for 40 years. You know the story. They've wandered around. They've missed it, right? They can't even get to the promised land, which God has said, this is where you're supposed to go. Joshua takes over and they begin to move toward the promised land. But you know, there's something in the way. It's the Jordan River. The Jordan River is in their way and they have to cross the Jordan River to get to where the promised land is. And so God tells Joshua what to do. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send the the priests that carry the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to have them walk into the river. And when they walk into the river, it's gonna stop and we're gonna walk across on dry land. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember at the first of this whole deal, they they, they came up to the Red Sea, you remember that? And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. Here they are a generation later, and they're at the same issue. And so Joshua says, let's do this. Radical obedience. We're going to do what God says. By the way, the Jordan River is at flood stage. That's what scripture says. This is not some little creek. We're talking about swift currents. We're talking about if you go in that water, it's not going to be pretty. So the priests, here they come. They come to the edge of the water. And the, and the scripture says, as soon as their, their toes touch the edge of the water, the water began to stop. 
And it said it piled up in a heap upstream at a town called Adam. I love how the Bible says it, it piled up in a heap. <laughs> they walked across on dry land, an incredible moment. And isn't that how God a lot of times works in your life? It's not until we take that step of obedience to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna do this. I, I don't see the way that this is gonna happen, but God, I'm gonna obey you and do what you call me to do. And at just the right moment, God provides and he makes a way. And what an incredible moment for the people of Israel. This is a, a, a monumentous day. God did it. He was faithful. And so you know what they did? Let me read this for you. It says this in verse four. So Joshua called together the 12 men he appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord of our God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel. This is a big stone. So to serve as a sign among you, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And he goes on down this later on. He says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He grabs these stones out of the middle of this dry riverbed that had been flowing with water and there was no way. They grab these stones and they take these 12 stones and they set them up. And so that their kids, when they ask them, hey, what are those stones about? It was a moment for them to be able to say, that's how we remember. Because here's what I know about you, that your kids are just like you. And you and I are just like the people of Israel. We are some forgetful people. We have a hard time remembering and we forget. And so God told Joshua, he said, go get those stones, go get those 12 stones so they can always look back and say, hey kids, hey kids, you guys remember? You remember what God did for us? You don't forget. God made a way when there was no way that we could see. He brought us into the promised land. Kids, don't forget you got to remember the faithfulness of God. And so for you, what are your 12 stones? How are you going to remember? Well, a few things maybe just as we close. One is you got to keep telling the story. you got to tell the story of salvation. you got to tell the story of the gospel. Maybe for you, you have something physical, an object, something that God did, and you, you hang on to it and say, look, y'all remember. Y'all remember when that happened. We don't worship the object. We worship God, obviously. Communion, that's another way, another 12 stone to remember, God, your sacrifice for us, what you did for us on the cross. And that's something that we can do. We celebrate spiritual birthdays. We say, look, do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Today's your spiritual birthday. Let's celebrate. Maybe it's a special anniversary of something that God did significant in your life. Write it down. Remember it. Tell your kids, your grandkids, hey, on this day back in, God did something incredible. He's been faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. You got to keep telling the story because church family, this is what God's called us to do. It's to train up a child in the way he should go. And so that even when he or she grows old, they won't abandon it. It's all of our jobs to do that. And you know where it starts? It all begins at the very beginning. What do we say? 
It all begins with the relationship with Jesus. You got to start there. So parents, family members, somebody in the room, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, that's where you start. You begin there so that you can show the next generation what it means to trust in Christ. And so maybe for you, this is your first time here. And maybe for you, this is your thousandth time here. And maybe for you today, God has been speaking to your heart. You're like, man, I know, never given my life to Jesus yet. I've been trying, I've been working for it, but I've never given and trusted my life to Christ. And I know I need to do that today. Maybe for you, you're in the room and you're a parent, you're a grandparent, a family member that says, you know what? My essentials have been all been messed up. I haven't been teaching my kids about how to participate in the divine nature. I've been living for the world. And today you could say, man, I need to recommit my life. These altars are gonna be open. We use these steps as an altar and a place for you to just come and pray. We have pastors in just a minute. I'd love to pray for you and pray with you and say, let's walk this thing through together. Maybe you're a kid that at BBS, you made that decision and said, yes, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you and you're ready to join the church today. We give you this time. This is called the invitation. And we give you a moment to be able to say, hey, I'm making a decision. I'm saying this is the new direction for my life. It's kind of maybe like radical obedience for you to say, this is really tough, but I'm gonna do it. So maybe today you begin to walk in a new way. I'm gonna pray for us. The music's gonna begin. And as soon as it does, I just challenge you, if God has spoken to your heart, to come, to make that decision, to say yes to Jesus today. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for, the, for your word, your truth today, how, how relevant it is in our lives. And we so need you, Father. As parents, as grandparents, as friends, as family in this room, God, we need you to make a difference in our lives. Father, help us to not hang on to our lives, but to let them go and to lay them down at your feet, to surrender all to you. So I pray right now for many in this room, Lord, that are ready to make that decision, that God, you give them the courage to say yes to you today, that they'd take that step for maybe some family members and parents that are saying, I need to, I need to change. That God, you'd give them the courage to take that step and say yes to you today. So Lord, have your way in our time. God, this is your time. We pray that you'd bless it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.